Welcome back, everybody. It is that time of the week. It is time for another episode of the Omega Metroid Podcast. Thank you all for joining us. I am Dak, and this week, because as you've noticed, Andy hasn't started talking, it is just myself and my good pal here, Doom, to join me for our 99th episode of the show, which is absolutely crazy to even say out loud. Doom, how are you doing today? Pretty good. I uh, had a long day of work yesterday. I uh, worked a few baseball games, uh, but you know, we made a lot of money. We're home now, and I'm uh, about to go to the beach literally right after we finish recording, so today is wow. a good day if you ask me. Yeah, you got a sick schedule lined up there, my guy. Um, I wish I was going to the beach after this, but I am getting together with my friends to plan more of our Iceland trip, which I will be taking in just over a week. And uh, that'll be really exciting because I have not left the country in quite some time. I've not traveled very much in the past few years, and I've never been to Iceland. So I'm really looking forward to seeing those northern lights. Very looking forward to... uh, I don't know. It's getting to see all the sights. I'm really excited, and yeah. So I got. I don't have as good of a Sunday lined up as you do, but I am excited to get into that. Yeah, you do have a way more interesting vacation lined up than I do. I have yet to. <laughs> I have yet to venture outside of the country yet, so I am quite jealous. Never, never once. Not no, even before I, COVID. I haven't even done Canada, which Canada doesn't even count. Like, let's be real. Like, like no offense, Andy. I think you'd agree with that too <laughs> if you were here, but. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what he says after this episode. Um, yeah, I have been to Canada. I've been to, you know, the Bahamas and Putacana and whatnot. But this is my first time, I guess, technically going to Europe because I think Iceland is technically part of Europe. Uh, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, we'll be going outside of, as far as I know, you know, the general North American area. So, yeah, very You're crossing the ocean, basically. Yes, exactly. I'm finally crossing the big pond and uh, looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward to jumping into today's topic, which after a couple of weeks of doing the question and answer episodes, uh, the Q&As are always a good time. And we thank everyone for sending their questions. I'm sure we'll do another one of those soon, but not too soon because we have a big episode 100 event coming up very soon. We have a bunch of other stuff to talk about. And we have today's topic to talk about, which is the Skytown area and Metroid Prime 3 Corruption as we're doing a mapping Metroid episode here today. So we jumping into one of the, I would say, one of the most notable areas in the entire Prime series, not just Prime 3. So uh, just, just I guess, general thoughts. Like, what are your thoughts on Skytown overall? Like, you know, you're excited to jump into this one, kind of met on it, because this is one of my favorite areas in all of Prime. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I'm super excited. I mean, you mentioned that this is one of the most notable areas in the Prime trilogy. I would go further than that. I think this is just one of the most notable areas in general. Like, when you hear, you know, Metroid fans talking about their favorite um, areas, like, this is one of the most common areas that I always see popping up in, like, discussions and stuff like that. And I think for good reason, as we'll get into uh, in our discussion later. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to get into it right now. So, if uh, this is your first Mapping Metroid podcast episode... Well, essentially, we kind of, you know, we dump, we jump into the the details of these areas. We go into all different rooms, the the different things you can find, the lore, the enemies, the bosses, so on and so forth, to kind of give our thoughts and and do a little bit of a deep dive into an area that is, of course, part of our favorite series here in Metroid. So, and specifically for me in the Metroid Prime series. So, I was really happy to jump back into this. And we we're talking just before we get into kind of the actual details of this. Um, we were talking just before we started recording, I was really happy to jump back into Metroid Prime 3. This is, you know, everyone knows that I love the Prime series. Obviously, Metroid Prime is, you know, the favorite for most people, but 
I honestly, as time goes on, I have a hard time really deciding. I, I guess it is still Metroid Prime, but sometimes I really do have a hard time, you know, picking like what is my favorite Metroid Prime game and which one is the best one. And I would say consensus is that Prime 3 is kind of considered the third out of the three. But I don't know. I think after playing it again for this episode, I think it has a case to be the second or even first best one, even though I'd probably still go with the original Metroid Prime. Uh, this game makes a really good case for itself. Yeah, I definitely fall in that latter, latter category of people that think Prime 3 is the quote-unquote weakest entry, but I'm heavily exaggerating those quotes because, like you said, I do think Prime 3 is a bit overhated, and I think it's still a, an absolute wonderful game. Like, for me, if Prime 1 and 2 are both um, A's or A-pluses, I think Prime 3 is, like, an A-minus or a B-plus. Like, it's still an absolutely incredible experience. Um, there's so much cool new things introduced in that game that advanced the series that I would love to see return, um, stuff that I would love to see expanded upon, and even stuff that they improved upon that I thought were weaker parts of the first two Prime games. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I don't even think this game gets that much hate, but yeah, it's certainly in one of those areas where, yeah, it's it's the weaker of the entries. I've always said, like, you know, the original Prime is like a 99 Prime 2 is like a 98, Prime 3 is like a 97. Like, they're all right up there for me. They're they're some of the best games ever made. So I was really happy to go back and, and check this out. And, of course, I checked it out playing uh, Prime Hack on PC or using Prime Hack. And still the best way to play a Metroid game, especially the Prime games. I mean, the, the games just feel like they were made for mouse and keyboard. I really, really, if anyone out there, if you're a huge Metroid Prime fan, and you haven't gotten the chance to play on a mouse and keyboard, especially with Prime Hack, I, I implore you. I extremely encourage you to give it a chance. I will. You can personally reach out to me, and I will help you set it up. That's how like much I am recommending this to you. It it completely changes the game, literally and figuratively. It makes it like a an eye opening experience. So uh, I was really happy to get my Prime Hack working again and and checking it out that way. And uh, not that I would encourage downloading ROMs because I would never do so on this podcast, but in the event that you are so curious, I might be able to direct you in some safe directions, shall we say. Yeah, I don't know anything about that and not going to claim to, but if you just so happen to stumble upon one and you're trying to go the distance, you know, you know how to reach out to me. Feel free to hit us up on Discord. And with that said, let's jump into this because I can talk all day about how the game controls, but I want to talk specifically about Skytown. And I think the first thing we got to jump into is the actual, the layout of Skytown because as everyone knows, this is, I would say the most, and probably most people would agree, this is the most unique of the layouts in the entire game and one of the more unique layouts for an area in the entire Prime series. Because if you recall and you haven't played the game in a while, this is the only area in the game and I think in the Prime series that is completely open. There are very few like rooms or I guess relatively to other areas closed off rooms. A lot of the major parts of the area are completely open. And from what I've looked up as well, you know, this actually led to some issues with development because they weren't even sure if this could, you know, run in 60 frames per second because of how open it was. Yeah, so like one of the unique things about Skytown is because like in a typical Metroid area, you can't see you know, the room is closed off, or if there is an opening, mm -hmm. it's like maybe like a skybox or something like that. But you generally can't see outside of the confines of the room. But that's not the case with Skytown. You can see 
other parts of the areas that you'll visit to from miles away. Like, it's not, like, obviously, it's not like Breath of the Wild because it's not open world and you're still confined to these small rooms and these corridors. But just the fact that you can see, like, platforms that you'll be jumping onto and buildings that you'll be traversing and bridges that you'll be crossing and, you know, all that stuff. It's a unique take on Metroid. And I think for the most part, especially... I mean, it absolutely, I think, still holds up today, but especially playing it for the first time in 2007, like, it was something that felt next-gen despite being limited to the confines of the Wii hardware. Absolutely, and I think this is kind of the direction that the Metroid Prime 4 will will go down as well. I think we'll see more areas like Skytown where you have, you know, you're going to be able to see the different areas you're eventually going to get to, and I think that does really lend to the metroid formula right because a lot of the of the classic metroid formula is i gotta get to this place i can't get to it just yet because i don't have the right tools and now the game really is kind of encouraging you and incentivizing you to get those tools because you can literally see where you know the different places you're gonna be able to get to uh, and you're just not able to just yet so uh, that's what i love about this and another thing i love about this area is uh, it's it's kind of I guess, non-traditional in terms of how other Metroid Prime areas and Metroid areas in general, but certainly for Metroid Prime areas are set up in that it has a lot of different interconnected paths, a lot of different crossroads that you can go in between and take different routes to different areas. Like you have the Spire Dock and you have the Junction, which have like three or four different exits and, and entrances on them to go to different areas of Skytown. Yeah, like, you have, like, these individual, like, for lack of a better word, hub sections of Skytown that have all these different paths that will, like, yeah, that will, like, that will, like, spread out to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, and, but those individual, like, tree branches or roots will, like, go into, like, their own, like, unique um, type of, like, condensed area. It's such a, it's such a unique approach to a Metroid area, and... I'm not sure if I would enjoy it if every Metroid area was like that, but having it just as that one thing, I think especially works for the design philosophy of um, what Retro was going for in this town, especially with the grapple points and all that. Like, mwah, absolute perfect um, new uh, addition to the Metroid traversal, if you ask me. Yeah, that, that's one thing I do like about it. I mean, Eastern Skytown is, and, and by the way, you know, Skytown has like the main Skytown area, has the Eastern Skytown area as well, which is a bit smaller. And the Eastern Skytown area is probably a more traditional Metroid Prime area. But you're right, it does have like all these interconnected open areas, but then they all funnel kind of into their more traditional Metroid Prime paths that, you know, take you to an upgrade or a new piece of equipment or a boss, of, or so to speak, or some kind of uh, enemy encounter. So I really love how it's set up. And yeah, you're you're alluding to that a little bit there of course the biggest i would hook for for lack of a better word no pun intended here for skytown are the different zip lines and, and kinetic orb cannons and and you even have the sky tram like all these different ways to traverse skytown this and the, the zip lines are the most unique they only appear in skytown from from what i remember and from what i was just playing and it's like that unique feature of the area that was not only just unique to skytown but like really felt metroid prime 3 right like that's something you couldn't pull off i think as well in the previous games and, and it really does focus put more focus on you know the grapple hook and the grapple asshole which was a main you know feature using like the wii remotes back when it came out on the wii so you have these kind of like on rail segments at times where you're like taking out enemies as you're flying from one point to the next and you can you know you're not just like forced into you know, an in-game, you know, cutscene or something like that, where Samus walks onto something and moves across, like, you're still actively part of the motion going from one area to another, and that really added to 
the area because they could have easily made it where everything were just like sky trams, right? Or kinetic orb cannons just getting shot over. But you have those zip lines that if you don't like defend yourself, you might get knocked off. And even later in the area, one of those, uh, the, the zip lines gets uh, destroyed and you have to actually kind of deal with that as well. So it, it has a, a dynamic to it that feels very unique to this area as well. And, and I love that they implemented that. Yeah, I believe you're, um, when you're talking about the zip lines, I believe you're talking about going to the spider ball, because I remember that track. It's been a yeah. little bit since I played Prime 3, but I remember getting the spider ball. The zip line, like, it gets destroyed, and then you have to, like, spider ball your way on the way back. It kinda, actually yep. kind of reminds me of the the Prime 2 spider ball sequence when Dark Samus destroys the bridge, but obviously the Skytown sequence is much more um, interconnected, and, um, you know, there's a lot more going on than um, the bridge sequence in Prime 2. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things I loved back as a kid, those, those zipline encounters and having to shoot stuff as you're going across. There's a bunch of different drones and, and little things you have to kind of fight. And of course, when you get to like Eastern Sky Town, there's a big uh, space pirate presence there because they've kind of taken things over. The main Sky Town area is mostly populated by the Elysians, which are the robots that the Chozo created because they're like, all right, see ya. We need to, we need someone to maintain this for us, but we're not going to do it. We're trying to get our research done, so they come up with these. You know, we'll get into that lore aspect later, but I, that that really kind of lends to the the unique character of the area. Because again, they could have made it all kind of you know just cannons and and sky trams, but having those zip lines as well is really cool. And it also I think adds to the steampunk aesthetic of the area because it feels very like you know, kind of simpler and mechanical rather than just being like so high tech. So I don't know. I, I really like that implementation. Yeah. I like that we get to see throughout the Metroid series, various, um, various stages of Chozo technology, whether based on the time period they exist in or whether, whether it be kind of the philosophies of those specific tribes. Cause you know, we, you know, we see this, this kind of steampunk aspect of the Chozo, which was, new at this time and still is a unique representation of the Chozo because typically before that we've seen the more spiritual aspect of the Chozo and then more recently we've seen the more warrior the warrior aspect of the Chozo more warrior good lord can you imagine Chozo. the warrior Chozo can uh, we get some fan art of that going into the discord right now <laughs> oh I'm sure I'm, I'm sure someone's gonna have to draw that up we, we need to see Wario beak or something like I want to see all of your cursed drawings right now just spamming oh our art section of the Discord. Give me some Wario Chozo goodness. Give the people well, what they want. Yeah, let's... Uh, well, hopefully we can get away from some of the, the Kirby art for Andy's sake and get some Wario art going, because I'm always about the Wario crossovers. Um, and since we're on the layout, let's, let's jump into some of the rooms here, because there are a bunch of major rooms in the, in the Skytown area that are you know, pretty indicative of the area and are major hubs, as we mentioned, for moving around Skytown. So... And this is kind of what I was going to earlier is you have like the areas like Spire Dock and Junction that are literal like crossroads of the Sky Town that give you access to uh, the different, you know, zip line stations and, and sky bridges and docking sites. I believe there are two landing areas that you can land here with your ship. So there are a bunch of, uh, that's what I really love about this. It, it's not just like, okay, you have a path you got to have to take. It, it does kind of, I guess, push you in certain paths. Especially when, you know, eventually you have to use the screw attack or the spider ball. But I do like that you can take different routes around the area, especially towards the beginning. Yeah, especially. And I also like, um, it kind of has, 
the you know kind of the the metroid fusion thing where the area evolves throughout the progression of the game you know we yep. you know during our fusion episode i think we talked about that was one of our favorite aspects of fusion and prime 3 does that specifically within um within skytown quite a bit mm-hmm. um you know after the final sequence when you're defending the spire pod that whole pl- that whole place get is literally a bomb so it no longer exists after you drop it and then that completely changes that entire hub area and how you're traversing around kind of the three corners of uh, Skytown in general. Yeah, the I mean that's that's the big part of of this area, right? Where you're putting together the the Theronian bomb and you end up dropping it with the spire and you drop the spire onto the Leviathan as it passes below you. Like that that is such an awesome sequence and like really again, I love dynamic areas exactly, just like fusion where things are changing over time. Uh, and eventually that area, you have to avoid it because it's no longer there after <laughs> the detonation of the bomb, right? And you kind of have to completely go around it, you know, with the, the cannons and the spider ball and the screw attacks. So that's a really cool aspect to it. Um, I'm trying to think of how many overall zip lines are in the area. I know there's at least three. There's Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. I want to say there might be another one. Um, but I think those are the, I think there might be a, a fourth one potentially in Eastern Skytown, I think. Um but yeah, those zip lines kind of connect those major areas. The Spire Dock has uh, access to the security station, has access to the junction, which in and of itself has access to the barracks and, and the power works area and the boost ball area, which I think is the where the where there's a steam lord, I believe, either on the bridge or towards it. And there's the defense uh, the defense drone is where the boost ball is. Yeah, so you have, there have all these different areas that interconnect to one another, which is really cool and. I brought up the uh, the Steambot barracks. That's where you have a half pipe, which comes back. The Chozo are still into the half pipe thing. I, is that ever explained why they <laughs> why they're really into half pipes? Because it's not like just Prime, where like all right, they kind of like constructed them into the planet. Like this, they went out of their way to have another half pipe in this area. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, clearly Tony Hawk influenced their childhoods just as much as they influenced ours. So you know, you love to see it. Tony Hawk crossing boundaries across the galaxy. You know. Maybe Chozo, the, the Chozo bought some of those Tony Hawk NFTs. Oh and, God, uh, don't remind me. That bro- that <laughs> I was gonna heart, say, man. you're you're talking positive. I was like, oh, maybe he hasn't heard. Um, I was the one that posted it in the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I was actually reading a ton about that. How like all those different celebrities have like this similar agency, and they're all pushing NFTs. A, a, a story for a different podcast, but maybe the Chozo. Maybe the Chozo didn't get into NFTs, or maybe they did, and that's why they disappeared for a while because they knew the uh, the blowback that was going to happen. You know, that could so be it. Ravenbeak's uh, master plan to take over the galaxy and turn every civilization into an NFT. Ravenbeak is a hundred percent into NFTs, one hundred and fifty percent, hundred percent. And and speaking of, of Ravenbeak here. Um, we're going to go into the, the enemies later and the bosses, but the, tell me if I'm wrong. The steam Lords in this area are very Raven beak esque. I don't know if you can, you really remember what the steam Lords look like, but they look like the Raven beak and the steam Lords kind of look kind of similar to me. I don't know if maybe the, I'm sure there's no connection. I don't even sure if Me- Mercury steam ever even played Metroid prime three, but I, when I was replaying this and I saw the steam, Lord, I was like, it's kind of, kind of Raven beak esque. Do you remember what they look like? Yeah, yeah, I think it's um I don't think it's necessarily that they're Raven Ravenbeak-esque. I think it's more <laughs> that they're I think it's more that they're Chozo-esque because they're designed by the That's Chozo. Fair. And so they have a, a, specifically the Steam Lords in particular have a lot of design similarities to the Chozo. They have the but cape also, though. Huh? They got the cape. They have the they have the, the Ravenbeak cape though. Not a lot of Chozo have capes. 
I mean that's true, but I mean a lot of a lot of sci-fi villains have capes, including probably arguably the most famous sci-fi villain of all time, uh, Darth Vader. Oh, I thought you're. I was, <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, so they're very clearly Darth Vader esque. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a Steambot no barracks. Yeah, no no capes, no capes, absolutely not. And I know none of my characters in any of my games have capes for that very reason. Shouts to the Incredibles. Um, other important rooms here for sure. You have the Aurora Chamber, which houses the Aurora Unit Two One Seven. I wouldn't say it's a you know particularly notable room outside of that, but uh, of course is somewhere that you have to access eventually, and I believe you need the boost ball to do so once you get in there and you deal with the Aurora Unit because that's that's a pretty much the reason why Samus is kind of here in the first place is Gore was sent there to give the vaccination to the Aurora Unit because it was corrupted by Phazen. And Gore gets corrupted in and of himself, so Samus has to go clean things up as usual. So uh, otherwise, not not a super notable room, but I do like how they incorporated this into the story as well, where the where Gore shows up and destroys the circuitry that you know gives the Aurora unit a connection to the Skytown network, and then you have to go and take out Gore to get his plasma beam in order to to fix that connection so that you can do its job. Yeah, one of the cool thing that one of the cool things that I think Prime does or Prime Three does is in each of the the unique areas. Obviously, there's an overall overarching story that plays across the game, but each of the areas has like their own mini stories that like take place. Mm -hmm. And you kind of yes. got into it right here with the whole um, Gore and Aurora unit sequence. So obviously, main plot of the game: destroy Phazon, destroy Dark Samus, find the source, etc. But in this part of the story, Samus has to restore power to the Aurora unit. Um, face Gore, get a handle on that, and take out this Leviathan scene, and kind of discover the history of what's been going on in, in both uh, Skytown post-corruption as well as what happened pre-corruption that kind of led to all this happening in the first place, which overall I thought was really interesting. But we can talk about all that once we get to the lore aspect. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love the lore behind this area and, and, and many of the areas in the Prime series overall, but the the Skytown in and of itself is a lot of lore that has implications for outside of just Prime 3, and I find that really interesting. Uh, you know, we mentioned the Junction, which of course, as the name implies, very much a crossroads between many different areas in Skytown, essentially kind of facilitates that. Um, but one area that I really want to point out here is the Powerworks area. Uh, this one is where Samus can get the Spider Ball, I believe, and kind of is one of the tighter, more kind of uh, claustrophobic rooms in the area. But this, uh, which I found was interesting, I, I looked this up. This is the only area in the entire Prime series where Samus gets an item from a Chozo statue in its hands. It's the only time. It's a spider ball that she gets it. So uh, that that was, I, I guess, uh, I actually didn't even really think about that until I looked that up. I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is true. I can't really think of another time that happens. Like an actual, in and of itself, equipment upgrade that's the only one where that's obviously a very common thing in the 2D games. Yeah, it's also one of the only times we see like that traditional... Yeah, it's the only time we see the traditional Chozo pose with, you know, the legs curled up and the hands outstretched yep. holding something. Like the closest we really get before that is there's a couple of statues in the first Prime games. There's the one where yeah. you do the Morph Ball bowling puzzles with and there's one where you uh, get either a Powerbomb expansion or an artifact from. But they don't have... They just have their hands outstretched. You don't get the uh, the classic curling uh, curling legs pose that you do from the 2D games. This is the first time you get that in the, the Prime games. 
Yeah, and, and that's very interesting to me because I, you know, when you think about that, that's so like classic Metroid, but it really is classic 2D Metroid. And it's, it's surprise, I guess not surprising, but I think it's interesting that that's the only time you see that from the entire Prime series, especially in like Prime 1, where yeah, like I'm thinking there are a bunch of statues that are similar in the Prime series. Like there's that one in the Fendrana Drifts area with like the frozen waterfall, but that doesn't have an item in it. And I, I guess it's it's interesting that they actually went back and like, oh, let's let's do this and have this kind of, you know, reference to it and, and even have a Chozo that has like similar armor to like what we now kind of expect from like Chozo warriors and obviously armor similar to what Samus has. I think that's actually the first time that we kind of see that in the Metroid Prime series as well. Uh, a Chozo kind of armored up in a similar way that we've now kind of seen more often in the Metroid series. Yeah, all of the depictions of the Chozo that we've seen in the Prime series up to this point are the more spiritual and peaceful aspects of the Chozo, or yep. more kind of interested in self-discovery. This is like the first depiction of a Chozo that you really see armored up. Like you like you somewhat hear like kind of hints of that, like with them, some of the um, Chozo and Luminoth combining technology in a Prime 2, which, you know, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like the light suit, for example, which is Definitely not a peacekeeping weapon, uh, you could say. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, this is like the first like visual um, outside of that that you can ac actually see for yourself of an actual Chozo depicted that way. So I, I think that is really interesting. And it's funny because this area is all about the Chozo. This is like a, a Chozo research area. That's why the Sky Town was created in the first place. So to depict the Chozo in this kind of more, maybe not aggressive, but yeah, like a more warrior kind of situation in an area that is not at all themed that way is very, very peculiar to, to make that choice. So, uh, and, and speaking of which going into like the Eastern sky town room, one of, I think the most memorable or sky town area, Eastern sky town area, one of the most memorable rooms in that area is the Chozo observatory, which again, very much plays into the theme of this is a Chozo research area. And I believe this is where you learn. And again, we'll go into this, the lore later. This is where the Chozo first learned about, uh, phase and also we're able to locate Talon 4 here and it's a really awesome open room you got a bunch of holograms a big statue uh, a very prime one kind of room to me and one of the most memorable ones in Eastern Sky Town yeah definitely gives off the um, definitely gives off the uh, space pirate research observatory with like the uh, hollow uh, the hollow solar system kind of vibes that you get um, yep. that you get from that area in prime one but it's its own unique take on it and yeah like you mentioned there's a lot of lore implications there uh, really cool gameplay implications mm -hmm. as well that allows you to um, pinpoint all of the items on the map if you're if you're doing that. And then if you uh, also don't want to do that, it's completely optional. So I think it's a, just a really cool gameplay mechanic in and of itself. Um, yeah, that whole, absolutely. That whole Eastern Skytown area, I feel like we could just do a whole thing on that alone just because of it takes such a sharp U-turn from like the rest of Skytown, but like in a good way. Oh, yeah, that's because, like, hey, the, spice, the space pirates are here. Time to change things up. The mood completely changes. Uh, the other two rooms, I would say, are probably the most notable ones are uh, the Botanica Room, which is where you can find, you know, some more bioengineering from the Chozo. Uh, I believe you can even see one of the Chozo artifact symbols here. But the Xeno Research Labs is very, like, space pirate labs from prime one-esque right like this is feels exactly similar of course this the space pirates are breeding metroids again uh i there i think they're even no. trying to rebuild 
<laughs> no, right? Very shocking. Uh, this is uh, this one thing I really love about the Space Pirates, right? Is they fail to like breed the Metroids like multiple times, and they keep trying. They you can even find here uh, bits of like them trying to make more Parasite Queens, uh, something that was never really affected to begin with, right? Like <laughs> the Parasite Queens were never really shown to be very effective, and they're just they just keep trying. Ridley dies, they keep trying. Like I I love the tenacity of the Space Pirates. Like certainly a lot of insanity because they keep trying the same things. And keep getting the same results. But I, I love how you show up to a space pirate area. And there's no question what they're doing. Like you, they've not at all changed what they're doing. They're trying the same plan. They're still trying to screw up Chozo stuff. They're still trying to make Metroids. They're still trying to make Parasite Queens. And and that's I, I love that about their character. <laughs> they're so tenacious about these faulty plans that they have. That they keep trying them over and over again. I think the thing that I love... Because uh, if you think about it, technically these aren't the same space pirates. These are all space pirates that are under Dark Samus's influence. True. So yeah. But what I love is that despite both the space pirates and the Metroids being controlled by Phazon, uh, they're still you know, they're still trying to kill each other. And uh, obviously, there's one side that clearly won, as we can see when we uh, first enter. Uh, when we first enter to a disintegrating pirate corpse, as we open the door to yep. the lab. Yeah, that's like one of the, I think one of the most notable moments in a Metroid game. <laughs> I still remember like seeing, I remember watching a YouTube video about that. Just someone like, or maybe it was someone, something even someone posted on, on Discord or, or on Twitter. Just <laughs> someone opening that door and just screaming <laughs> as the body's right there. Um, and I, I definitely have a memory of that. Just, I'm just, I just walk through it. I'm saying not even phased. I'm like, I got bigger, I got bigger fish to, fish to fry here than this corpse. Um, but yeah, I, I love little moments like that. Very, very cool. Yeah. Everything to the buildup of the Xeno research lab is just so well executed because you don't, you don't fight a single enemy before then. It's all just purely, it's all purely aesthetical tension building. There's no like battles beforehand that like, that like ramp up the difficulty. It's such a good way to set the mood of the atmosphere. And then of course you have our boy Kenji Yamamoto with, you know, his insane score. And of course when the power goes out, you have what I would what I would argue is one of the most haunting Metroid tracks that we've gotten since then. The actual Xeno Research lab theme as you're like slowly walking through the lab, just knowing just knowing what's about to go down. You're just you're dreading it at this point. Yeah, there there are so many good like moments of anticipation in Skytown. Like you have the the big gore like holograms you can see around the area, and and like you know that's setting up for something sinister. Like there's a lot of stuff in this again. Like this like you were mentioning earlier how these areas have their own stories in and of itself, and it's not just okay. It's another part of this bigger story, but it has its own self-contained thing that you got to unpack. And and we're gonna go into that right now because there's a lot of lore to talk about with Skytown. And obviously the biggest part of this is that the Chozo were building this as a deep space research facility. They created these robots named the Elysians because it, it hovers over Elysia. <laughs> and so like, hey, we need we need to spend time researching. We can't spend time maintaining this place. So they create these artificially intelligent robots called the Elysians to to take care of the place, essentially. The Chozo, like they always do, they eventually depart Elysia at some point later, and the Elysians are like, all right, we're going to keep maintaining this as long as they can. And I think they end up doing that for a few hundred years until they, they go into hibernation. And it isn't until the Federation shows up, like, mad long later, 
that the Elysians kind of come back and boot themselves back up and kind of even even form a relationship with the Federation to maintain Skytown, install the Aurora unit, and work together until eventually, you know, the events of like the Phasen, you know, the Leviathan showing up and Phasen showing up where uh, a lot of Skytown is, is kind of messed up because of that and a lot of the Elysians are corrupted as a result. But there's, a, you know, a deep lore for this where the Choza were really working here to you know, learn so much more about the galaxy and, and different places around in the universe from this this research base. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite cool pieces of um, I don't I don't want to say lore, but more so connective tissue. And this kind of circles back to when we were talking about the areas. But if you pay real close attention to the first landing dock that you land at at the at the beginning of this area. If you pay attention to the layout, it's almost nearly identical to the Artifact Temple of Metroid Prime 1. It's such a cool detail. Um, the landing site um, is, a, is a similar circular platform. You have an overhead green window that outlooks, outlooks and you have a similar ramp, ramp layout where you go uh, from left to right that's pretty much exactly the same as Prime 1, except um, there's two of those in the Artifact Temple where there's only one in Corruption. Um, and then, of course, you have... A Chozo head um, looking out at kind of like with the Artifact Temple where you have kind of those Chozo statues looking out onto the platform as well. It's such a cool little bit of connective tissue that foreshadows that the Chozo that stayed here are the same ones who eventually migrated to Talon 4. Yeah, and you can see like notes of like the Chozo artifacts like I mentioned earlier. You can see like that signage in Eastern uh, Skytown. Jack, you cut, out. you cut out for a bit there. And uh, in Eastern Skytown and in Major Skytown, uh, you can see that there, uh, a bunch of the Chozo artifacts. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool parts of this. I, I would say, what, uh, going back to the uh, Chozo Observatory, this is where we learn a bit about the, the Searcher, who was apparently the first Chozo to discover Phase, and I believe also to discover most of the other planets, if I'm not mistaken, or many of the other planets that the Chozo would, would later try to venture to or would actually venture to. Yeah, um I don't I don't remember the specifics of um of the searcher in particular. I just remember the general part of the story of the actual Chozo migration process, the Talon Four, and then kind of how the Elysians who were like mentally connected to the Chozo, they were like experiencing the pain that they were going through on Talon Four during the mm. the phase on corruption on that planet. And how they interpreted that as dreams, and they weren't yeah. and they they weren't able to tell whether this was whether it was a, a dream they were having or whether it was part of that mental connection. That I don't remember the specifics of the searcher, but if um, that is that is very interesting though, especially if that does connect to like Zebes and like some of the other um, colonies that the Chozo would inhabit later. Yeah, uh, I believe the the statue in the Chozo Observatory is the searcher herself, um, and is. I, and I don't think there are many like female Chozo that I know of, and I and I looked this up as well. I think it was the the only, one of the only, if not the only one, really mentioned in the lore. Um, but yeah, it seems to be obviously not really referenced outside of this game, but a pretty significant role, I would say. And there's actually what you mentioned, yeah, like this has you know connective tissue to the different areas that the Chozo would eventually go into. Uh, going back to the Botanica Room. The type of trees that you can find there are identical, like pretty much exactly identical to the ones that you can find in Talon 4 um, in the Chozo Ruins. So 
that also leads to the you know the credence that or the evidence that like the chose the same chozo that were on town four that are eventually in sky town um and why they have those trees plants i'm assuming the chozo you know are just kind of very altruistic and and spreading spreading the love with these trees um maybe it's just kind of like their own kind of imprint on you know a kind of imprint of themselves on the area but I'm pretty sure they're actually the exact same trees. So you, that's another kind of bit of evidence there that these are exactly, you know, the same Chozo here. Um, which I thought was a pretty interesting fact. Yeah, I like that a lot of the design cues aren't like super in your face about it. Like with a giant neon sign, like, hey, look over here. It's like this little subtle thing that if you just happen to focus on it and pay attention to it, you can kind of catch the similarities. I really like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's, there's one thing I wish was mentioned in Dread. Uh, which would have been a really cool little, like, I don't know, fun fact or whatever it is. But also in this air in the in the main Skytown area, there's a scan in the junction room that has a, a little bit of information about a Chozo named Drin, who was apparently a major uh, part of developing the power suit technology. And not at all referenced in Dread, but hey too much to expect from that game but i mean still i think that i'm sure there were many many chozo who were involved in the creation of that technology but it, it, it i think that was one of the kind of the first times we get a little bit of uh information in terms of like an individual chozo that's you know very much involved in the technology that samus uses and eventually we learn that many other chozo warriors use as well I don't think there's a single person uh, that worked on Metroid Dread that even knows who Drin is, unfortunately. That's what I'm saying. That's like, at least play the game once, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I they wish probably have, a... but I just, I don't think they remember who it is. Like, it probably yeah. wasn't one of the things that stuck out to them. Absolutely, yeah, definitely not. But that would have been a cool little thing to, I guess, kind of throw back to. Like, maybe the Chozo Searcher, probably not an integral, you know aspect that needs to be talked about there still would have been like that kind of stuff that would have been cool to to maybe like throw a nod to or a little bit of a hey like remember this and then most people are like no i don't uh <laughs> but still would have been cool uh what else there was one other thing that i thought was interesting that there's a scan in the i forget which room it is but there's one talk there's an elysian talking about the the aftermath of the leviathan seed um because a lot of the scans in this area are very much like just kind of like this this mechanical thing does this <laughs> and this thing is not powered up yet but uh, this scan talks about you know the phasin corrupting you know uh skytown and themselves and bringing a lot of the Elysians under pirate control and they were really hopeful for for gore to to come and help them out <laughs> and and gore of course becomes corrupted as well so the, it kind of goes into like the first Elysian um which you know was one of like the first uh like elysians created by the chozo and was given that kind of awareness to build more elysians because it seems like the chozo didn't make all of them themselves the, the elysians would make more of themselves on their own and that's kind of how they ended up having so many of them which i guess many of them eventually get corrupted yeah, I kind of agree, agree with that in the sense where the Chozo kind of had the base foundation and then the Elysians just started self-replicating and self-producing after that and making uh, modifications and upgrading Skytown afterwards. Yep, and that that really does make sense too because the Chozo were really trying to be not hands-off but very focused on like information gathering and, and researching and, and not spending time maintaining so they certainly weren't spending too much time like building all these things all the time. 
Uh, I did the one thing I did like about that, which I thought was interesting, is there there's a, a mention of how like the newer Elysians kind of found the originals and the first Elysian to be you know old and kind of old hat and and not as 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 nice and new as of course themselves and uh, <laughs> having that kind of I guess uh, separation or rift between the different generations of Elysians doesn't seem to play too much into the area of the story that much, but I like that little bit of detail. Uh yeah for sure oh sorry you were saying something no I, I I just thought it was a cool little detail yeah there's a there's a lot of that in the Skytowner area for sure like um like little like not like not major story implications but just like nice little nuggets of, and tidbits where it's like oh that's a that's a nice little thing that just enhances kind of um you know the knowledge of this area and whatnot the knowledge of the universe in general little Absolutely. stuff like that. Yeah, and it makes sense, you know, to have something that is artificially intelligent, it's not just going to, you know, go, I guess, it, you know, it has it go beyond them just being like simple AI and having a lot more of a complex, you know, construction behind their AI, which again, you know, that also is noted at when they, with the dream thing you're talking about, right? Like that's not something like a simple AI kind of has, <laughs> um, even that kind of connectivity to, to the Chozo. So uh, interesting really stuff. I was just going to say, it's a really cool dichotomy how you have, like, the simple builds of of the machines, and so you would assume that, like, oh, obviously yeah. they must be just simple uh, ones and zeros programming, but then when you actually read the lore, most of the lore in the game is written by them, not that there's some of the lore that's written in, written by the Chozo, but most of it is written by the Elysians themselves, and it's actually this really complex network, and kind of, again, that dichotomy between the look of of the machines and their actual thought process is very interesting, I think. Yeah, I think they even mentioned, like, I am Elysian. Like, this is me writing this, right? And there, there's no kind of uh, question about that, too, which is a really nice little touch. Um, moving on from the Elysians, though, they're, of course, not the only ones that populate this area. There's a bunch of different enemies that you have to take on, and, and a lot of them are, you know, these these steam lords and steam bots and then space pirates. Um I think the most, the one that sticks out to me the most are the Jolly Roger drones, <laughs> which are like this game's war wasps. And you encounter those, you actually encounter those outside of Skytown as well. But they, of course, also appear here and are annoying to deal with. I believe those are um, space pirate drones specifically. Um, yeah. They just happen to be in the area because obviously space pirates are trying to do stuff in Skytown. So, yep. Bring the yeah, robot boys always with them. They're always trying to get something done. Uh, the steam bots, interesting uh, foes to deal with. Uh, you have a bunch of, you know, you have the, the space pirate ships that, again, show up in multiple different areas. You introduce those first in, in Norian, and they show up pretty much wherever the space pirates are as well. Uh, pirate troopers, there's some other enemies that kind of linger around near the, uh, the um, zip lines you have to deal with. But it's pretty much a mix of space pirate enemies especially in the eastern skytown area and then you have these steam based enemies you have to deal with and, and different robots that are uh you know kind of defending and dealing with any kind of intrusion in the area but also of course are corrupted so are trying to take out sam as the best way they can yeah i think it's more so the corruption aspect especially with them um, with the steam lords in particular they've suffered from direct phase on uh, corruption, where I believe the steam the steam bots are just following the signals produced by the steam lords, which I think is really interesting because when you think of phase on corruption, you think of like uh, organic beatings, whereas you know 
the Steam Lord is, you know, completely mechanical, and yet, you know, it can, like, phase in and out of reality, um, go invisible to, um, to uh, your regular visors until you get the X-ray visor and stuff like that. It, yep. I, it can float off the ground, like, there's phase on for you, I guess. It's it's powerful stuff there, very powerful stuff. And yes, uh, getting into the bosses of this area, you do take on a steam lord. I think there's actually multiple steam lords in the area. Um, I think there was like three or four total. And yeah, you you can deal with them with the plasma beam. You need the X-ray visor when they go invisible, and they also come out. At least the one like main steam lord encounter comes out of this really cool pod in the ceiling. Uh, with like gas flowing out and whatnot, it has its like entrance and and whatnot, and flying around. It's it's a it's a you know again it's kind of uh, you think of it in like contrast to the mostly simple designs of the rest of the 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 different like things and and steam bots and all that you kind of encounter in the area and drones, and then you have the steam lords, which are very <laughs> contrast to that. Mm -hmm. And and there's also. Um... Also, the fact that they can instantly resurrect the uh, the steam bots as well, which I think is a really cool yes. feature. That whole animation sequence, like it's like it's kind of a blink and you miss it since you're you know focused on destroying the boss, not necessarily. But if you actually look at the animation, it's so cool. And and speaking of really cool animations, I really want to talk about the gore boss fight because this dude, you show up at the boss area to fight this guy and he is wailing on your ship like he is just if you stand there he'll just keep he'll just keep punching it and going off and then and i forgot about this until i replayed the game he throws the ship at samus and like just hurls the thing at her and still the ship is working like i, I would like it's it's smoking and on fire and sam's like all right well i need you to just get out of here real quick I'm like how is the ship even functioning at this point but i love the end the the beginning intro to this because gore is just in his mech also i mean such a cool character um you know has like a simple weak kind of frame jumps into his mech and he's completely whole new and valid threat and you show up and he is just wailing on this ship and there's no floatiness to him either right like he jumps off the ship and just immediately hits the ground like there's so much weight behind his character and in his mech which i really love that little touch that could have made it a little floaty but he just drops to the ground like a brick and he picks this ship up and chucks it at you it's such one of the best uh, beginnings to a fight i think in a metroid game and of course uh the start of a lovely meme in the metroid community just in time yep <laughs> yep he turns around and says just in time and the fight begins and you go right into it uh what, what are your thoughts on this fight overall i think there's i would say that there's three phases i believe uh you know one or two i th i know there's like two distinct phases and the third one is kind of just kind of mixing everything together a little bit i think uh what are your what are your thoughts on this fight I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really interesting boss fight. It actually reminds me a lot of fighting the um, the quads in Metroid uh, Prime Two, where you have to boost ball, you have to expose mm -hmm. the weak point on the bottom of their legs and then boost ball through them to expose. You kind of do that with Gore a little bit, especially uh, in that first phase a lot. And but yeah, it takes a lot of. Um, it's a very diverse boss fight. You know, you're not just wailing on a single weak point and dodging attacks. You know, there's multiple multiple act activities for lack of a better word that you're doing um you can scan him get some really interesting lore obviously you talked about that beginning cutscene, which you know memes aside is just such a cool awesome. little cool little piece of animation you know gorgeous flexing on you just throw you know throwing everything around just 
literally throwing his weight around quite literally. And yeah, it's just a really memorable moment. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not. I actually think his boss music is kind of weak, if I'm being honest. I, out I, of the, I agree. <laughs> yeah, out of like Rundus and Gandreda, I think have awesome boss things. Oh, I, no but, question. Um, but yeah, I think I think Gores. It's not terrible, but it's definitely uh, it's it's definitely a bit more in that Metroid Dread kind of forgettable territory, if I'm being honest. But I mean, otherwise, you know, I think it's a great fight and an absolutely sad ending too. Absolutely gut wrenching, of course. Like all the Hunter ending endings, when um, you know, you see Samus curl her fist in anger. A lot, just a lot of good uh, body language from Samus in that fight in general. A hundred percent. Though I will say, it, it just—it's funny the difference between Samus the the character herself and Samus as the player character, because you see this a lot in in cutscenes where Samus is like, you know, attacking something, whatever, and she's like shooting her arm cannon, but like only fires a couple shots, but then you yeah. actually play as her, and you're spamming shots and like ripping it, you know? Like, there's a the end of the fight where Dark Samus like comes out or whatever, and Samus is like shooting the cloud of Dark Samus, and she shoots maybe five, six shots like every couple seconds. If that was the player, you'd be mashing that or you know, hyper me whenever you can. I just, I always think that's funny because she's so like nonchalant sometimes in the prime games with the amount of unlimited ammo she's willing to use. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally like us, the player. It's literally that uh, that meme of like the sweaty speedrunner who's just like furiously mashing yeah. on everything <sighs> and just blowing out the speakers. Yep, <laughs> yep. 100%. Yeah, that, I always thought that that stuck out to me and, and still does. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I really, I thought this is a pretty solid boss fight. Obviously not like the best one in the prime series by far, but it certainly integrates other fights. Like you said, the quads, um, it definitely feels a lot like the, uh, Metroid prime meta Ridley fight, the ground phase after he's lost his wings. Cause you have, he's like charging you. He has the laser attack. He has like the multi-missiles, uh, the ground similar. He has the ground pound. Yep. He has a shock wave. So he has a very similar grounded meta Ridley uh, sections. And then, yeah, he's like spinning around with his blades and whatnot. Eventually he's spinning in place, shooting the lasers and, you know, he's a shield you have to deal with. So uh, I would definitely a, an amalgam of different boss fights, which, you know, you can definitely see as you get into prime three, how like different assets, not assets, but like different ideas and, and fundamentals from the previous prime games continue to show up, which makes sense. Cause you know, they work well, but when you get to a fight like this, at times it feels like it doesn't necessarily have its own identity, but is very much so the identities of other boss fights that have already happened in the prime series. And maybe that's one of its kind of weaker points, at least this boss fight aside from the, uh, the music, but I still think it's a pretty cool fight and and does its job and it's and it's it's pretty fun and you know once you kind of open it up and and you're starting to rip hyper you know the hype beam into him uh, it still gets pretty fun and he has some cool different attacks you have to dodge. Uh yeah so um oh I totally lost my train of thought uh give me a sec <laughs> I was gonna say something and it just uh, it just boost balled out of my mind. Well. The other, well, if it comes back to you, uh, the other boss that does show up in this area is the defense drone, which is how you get the boost ball, I believe. What a, take a, what a lovely transition there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, you have the, you have the boost ball there. And so you have to fight this before you fight Gore. Um, a pretty, pretty cool boss. I think the only notable thing for me from this boss is, I mean, you kind of, you know, you shoot its antennas, you you grapple its head open, you 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 know hyper mode on its brain and whatnot. 
But the one thing that always stuck out to me is when it jumps on the ledges and shoots those balls that like don't just kind of float at you. They they like bounce on the ground and roll around at you, which I don't think really happens in any other. I can't think of any other boss fight that has a similar mechanic. Like they have other things that will fly at you and and curl towards you in the air, but these just like bounce on the ground and, and like big inflatables. I always thought that was funny. Okay, so I remembered what I was gonna say for Gore, and then we can go right back to uh, the defense drone. So basically, um. I think the Meta Ridley comparisons are definitely super apt because, again, that boss fight takes place on the platform that is clearly inspired by Metroid Prime 1's Artifact Temple. So I definitely think you might be onto something uh, with those Meta Ridley comparisons. And then, um, yeah, Gore, Gore isn't going to be, like, in my top 10, probably not even my top 20 bosses of all time, but, like, I still think it's a solid enough boss battle. Like, it's certainly, like, it's a good boss fight, but it's just... Metroid is known for having incredible boss fights, and so when you compare that to, like, you know, Ravenbeak and, um, recently Metroid Dread or Quadraxis, or, mm -hmm. or even the, um, the AM2R Metroid Queen fight, which I, I think is an absolutely incredible fight, personally, and even, yep. and even, even the Prime 2 Boost Guardian, a lot of people hate on Boost Guardian, I think it's a phenomenal fight, personally, but, like, but yeah, Gore, good boss fight, I think a solid 7 out of 10, I think, which, which is good, I mean, that's a passing I grade, if you ask me. But yeah, then, uh, that's totally fair. Yeah, but then, uh, yeah, going on to the, de the defense drone, uh, definitely, definitely more unique than the gore fight. Uh, ironic, ironically, um, unlike the gore gore fight where the music doesn't stand out for me, I love the yes. defense drone music in this. Mm -hmm. And technically, it technically it's just um, it's just a new version of the um, oh uh, of the Reptilicus themes that you uh, face on Brio. It's just a different version of that, but I think it's um, it's a more complete version. You have these um, other uh, mechanical com uh, percussion components added to it, and it just sounds uh, it sounds so cool and action oriented. And honestly, I could just listen to that all day. Yeah, that's actually what I have in my notes: is defense drone theme better than gore theme? Yeah. Oh, dude, defense drone is an absolute <laughs> banger. No hands down, no questions asked. Well, let's just jump into the music then. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to some of the items. Let's, let's go into the music because I want to hear most of your thoughts on this. The only really thing I have to say about the music in this area is obviously the main Skytown theme is one of the best tracks in a Metroid game period. Not just in Metroid Prime 3, not just in the Metroid Prime series, but in the entire Metroid series, the Skytown theme is just a pure bliss it, it's so good it has you know a nice mixture of strings and and a little bit of light percussion obviously you have the vocals in the background but they have these like bells that you can hear that fit like really perfect with the steampunk aesthetic it's night it, i don't know it just it really like brings you to like okay this was again a place that was lived in by the chozo and had this like higher meaning and greater purpose than just being an area in a video game and i don't know that I, it's a theme that i just it brings me back nostalgia-wise in terms of playing the game, but wow, it's such a perfectly composed track. And I don't have I don't have too many thoughts for anything else in this area because I, I spent so much time like, you know, indulging myself in this theme, both, you know, when playing the game and then going back and listening to the OST again. This this is just an a quintessential Metroid Prime track. Yeah, absolutely. Um and a lot of uh, again, Ken Kenji Yamamoto, the GOAT. Um, absolutely incredible musician. Please, please come back to Metroid Prime 4, Kenji. We, we, real, we miss you. We really do. Yes. But, um, you know, I've made my opinions on Metroid music 
before and you know i'm obviously i think we disagree a little bit on this term where i'm not necessarily a fan of more the orchestral directions of metroid with some very specific um you know notable examples and uh yeah skytown is one of those examples where it's clearly this orchestral inspired track that i think absolutely works and still um does a great job of staying true to hirokazu tanaka's original um, idea of blending the music and the environment together as a single breathing creature. I've no, I've no, I keep saying and you know spamming that anytime I talk about music, but really that philosophy You're is like such. It's such an important part of Metroid music. It's what makes it so unique for uh, for me personally. And Skytown, despite being heavily, um, you know, orchestral, orchestral, like you don't have a lot of those more organic and electronic sounds that permeates a lot of Kenji Yamamoto's other prime scores. It still does the, does the job well. You even have a little bit of guitar um, in those mm -hmm. final measures, you know, just you know, just barely at the tail end of that, and it all just fits right in together. Um, one of the um, the harp the uh, the harp instrument um, that's used to, throughout is also the exact same synth patch that's used in the Artifact Temple from Prime One. So again, yep. more connective tissue connecting the Chozo between this and Talon Four. Just a lot of cool Easter eggs in general, and honestly, it's just. It's one of those tracks that unironically you, you can listen and just start tearing up over. And there's very, yeah. you, you, like, I can only count, like, a select handful of themes that it kind of made me do that in a video game. And this is one of them. I'd say maybe this, maybe there's um, Grassland Groove and a Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze made me tear up a little bit. And um, uh, one of the themes in Mario Galaxy that I will not talk about in case anyone hasn't played that to avoid spoilers, but... If you if you've played Mario Galaxy, you know the theme I'm talking about. That's all I will say. I'm gonna say I feel like you could talk about Mario Galaxy spoilers, bro. Right? <laughs> the game's been out for that long. Um, I mean, I probably I probably could, but you know, it's a Metroid I, podcast, so you never know. That's fair. That's fair. I, honestly, I I'm surprised you to say that because I have so many tracks that I can think of in many different franchises that make me kind of get very emotional. Obviously, from the Halo series, from Destiny, and from the Metroid Prime series as well, which are three of my favorite video games. So that's definitely why. Uh, even going back, I mean, this isn't about Skytown, but even like the main menu theme for Metroid Prime Three. Wow. I mean, oh my is, god. That's it in is like so good. Oh, the the title theme is like in my yep. top five Metroid tracks of all time. I love yep. that title theme so much. Ugh. Such and, and, and again, again, another piece by Kenji Yamamoto, the absolute goat. Uh, yeah, can do no I, wrong as far as I'm concerned. I would love more tracks like that in Metroid Prime Four. Like I, I'm definitely someone who like as much as I love the the electronic kind of feel that you get, maybe in like a Fendrana, you know. Uh, not Fendrana Drifts, but like Fendrana Jeps, you know, that kind of thing. But like, I love these kinds of tracks. Like they just, I feel like it just elevates the game for me. And I hope we get more of that in Metroid Prime 4. But then like, and I was thinking about this too, you have like the Steam Lord theme, which is so like electronic-y Metroid Prime-y to me. Even like the Gore theme as well. Like they're so distinctly different. So the I Steam actually, oh, yeah, sorry, go, go on. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I believe the Steam Lord theme, and I haven't been able to verify this yet, so don't quote me. I believe the Steam Lord theme was actually done by Minako Hamano, not Kenji Yamamoto. But again, another uh, another veteran Metroid composer, you know, debuted with Kenji on Super Metroid, uh, one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. I think we, the three of us mm -hmm. can all agree on that. And so, yep. yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, surprise, doesn't surprise me at all that uh, she would produce some absolute bangers as well, including that Steam Lord theme, assuming she is the one that did that, because there are three composers that worked on prime three soundtrack 
and they all did a, I think a fantastic job, especially in what maybe we not Gore's theme, but <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Well, honestly, I don't think Gore's theme is bad, but it definitely falls into the not as memorable and kind of generic theme to it. But it's not. I don't think it's bad. Like it doesn't have like go away heat for me. It just it's kind of sufficient. Um, all right, I, so I know we've so been... we yeah, go ahead. I know we've been kind of getting off topic from Skytown, but I also I, I do want to go back to that title theme just for just for a brief. Oh my moment, god! I, I can talk about that all day. Yeah, just because well, the whole trilogy in general, I love the progression of the title themes because in the in the very first Metroid Prime, um, you know, it depicts this mysterious organic mystery, and then in the second game, it's like it, it almost gives like a kind of return of Samus vibe, like hey, she's back, we're back in action, and then in three, it's like. All hell's breaking loose. This is the conclusion. This is the finale, and I love, yep. I love the progression of the storytelling and just the title themes alone. Very cool yes. stuff there. I 100% agree. Like this is very much the finale. This is very much the culmination. Um, I, I there's a there's a orchestral arrangement of the Metroid Prime Three title theme that I love, and I think I actually used it already on this show as one of our intro themes um by wingus dingus on on youtube a couple years back who just nails it with like a full orchestral arrangement of the title theme like yes please give me more of this like i think you can like a metroid like ost could if you really lean into both like the electronic uh aspects and like the orchestral aspects of like really solid metroid songs you just you and you really like bring that out and go hard on both accounts like you'd have such an amazing ost and, and prime really does balance that in all three games i think pretty well uh maybe leaning more towards the more electronic -y sounds than you know straight up orchestral obviously some you know synth orchestra but um i i yeah the title theme and that just brings me back to like when i originally played prime 3 when i was getting excited for the game cracking that open like i it doesn't feel the same when you open up trilogy and it doesn't have like those intros really uh you just kind of have like the main trilogy like theme i guess but which is also I, a really good theme which, but yeah which is but also I, but really I, good but i understand what you mean though yeah yeah so i, I those title those title sequence i those title sequences i feel like are like integral to the story those games are trying to tell i i definitely mm -hmm. agree with you there yeah I, w I wish more of that was there um so We've covered most of the major stuff. I don't have too much to really talk about in terms of the items and expansions. I mean, you can get the boost ball, you get the plasma beam and the spider ball here. I think there's not really much to be said about those that we haven't already said. You know, the boost ball is used to free the Aurora unit and to defeat Gore. The plasma beam is needed to fix the circuitry and you get that by beating Gore. Uh, you need the spider ball to kind of get around Skytown later parts in later parts of that area, and it is the only item you kind of get from the uh, you know a Chozo statue in the whole Prime series. So I don't have too much to add. There's a couple expansions. Uh, there's an energy tank and missile expansion in the Steambot barracks. Uh, there's a ship missile expansion in the security station, and then there's two more missile expansions. I don't think I'm missing any others from the power arcs and the botanical rooms, respectively. Um, I don't really have many thoughts on, on any of that just very cool you can get all of those things uh, i think it's interesting that there's both the boost ball and the spider ball pickups in a single area but it, it makes sense because the boost ball the spider ball and the plasma beam all like kind of work in conjunction of think tools that are necessary to reconnect something and that's what skytown is really all about so uh i guess it works uh there is one item that we 
kind of touched on for like two seconds, but not really. Uh, the ship grapple beam, which in my opinion oh, yeah. is by far the best of the ship upgrades in this game, and I think that is. Uh, I think that's um, utilizing the ship as, as an item at its absolute best. We talked a little bit about um, assembling the Theronian bomb and all that, but you know sure. that whole. But yeah, that whole process as well as some of the other um, you know optional expansion puzzles that you use the ship grapple for in this game are just so are just so cool. It's a really that you know I talked a little bit earlier about how I think you know Prime Three really introduces cool concepts that I'd love to see expanded in Prime Four or maybe another future entry and. Uh, the ship yep. grapple beam is an you know an absolute uh, textbook example of this. You know one of one of my favorite things uh, introduced, one of my favorite items introduced in Prime Three, uh, that just utilizes the environments in ways that you would never expect, and you get these really cool multi-layered puzzles that span like you know entire areas worth of rooms uh, because of how the ship can traverse the area. It's it's just such a cool uh, utilization of that technology, and I hope that we get to do even more of that in Prime Four. I hope so too. I really hope the, that Prime 4 integrates the ship into the action as much as Prime 3 does, if not more. That That is one of the coolest parts about Prime 3 and one something that sticks out to me the most. I mean, even from the original uh, reveal of Prime 3, the ship was a big part of that. And we even talked about in the previous episode, like my one of my favorite designs in the Metroid series is the Prime 3 gunship. It, it's such a cool... Yeah, so like they, they, they I love the emphasis on that and makes it... Uh, such an extension of Samus's character as you know your your player character as the avatar, and it really expands on what Samus can get done as an individual and, instead of just being like, all right, this is a ship that I can send away or call to me, right? Like that's also a big part of it too. But they really expand on that a lot, and and I I would hope and I think they will uh, continue to expand and evolve on that in Prime Four because that that it makes it just like okay, it's not just something that takes you from point A to point B. It's an asset that you have to use and and want to use throughout you know your time traversing a planet, and it adds a lot more depth to the gameplay. I would go as the far I would go as far as to say the ship feels like its own character in this game, like its own unique. Mm. Um, character and I think going back to the gore cutscene, I think that works more in its favor because when you see gore wailing on your ship, it's not just yes. it's not just he's wailing on your ship, he's wailing on your baby. It's like oh no, we can't have that going on and like and like you like you feel that feel that inside you despite the fact that it's you know an inanimate object. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I have a huge respect to the ship when after it's takes the beating gets thrown it just goes back into position it's on fire and smoking it's like all right peace and it flies off I'm like wow this thing is built different i absolutely love that um and, and honestly that's like such a big part of prime three to me as well i mean you start the game inside the ship the first thing you do in the game is tinker with the buttons and put in like the command code and and you know hit the le you know push uh, the, the drive forward and all that like that's such an integral part of the game that makes it really stand out not just as a metroid title but as like a, a wii title back then as well it didn't i don't you know obviously you had like the grapple mechanics and stuff like that but that was a really nice touch that it made it a little more again it had its own personality it had a little character to it i remember getting the little bobbleheads inside my <laughs> inside the ship and whatnot <laughs> uh so like yeah exactly it, it does you're right i think it, it has the feeling of it being its own character for sure yeah prime 3 definitely suffers from like that early wii era gimmick kind of like waggle waggle stuff and and you you could argue that maybe the ship is an extension of that, but personally, I think it absolutely works for like the ship cockpit mini games and stuff like that. Um, yep. 
and all that. Especially, like, you know, um, entering the command codes. And even just some of, the, like, the bonus stuff that, like, has nothing to do with that intro sequence that you can do. Stuff like just putting, you know, the shielding on, on top of your cockpit. Like, that's completely unnecessary. It's purely aesthetical. Um, or activating um, uh, that little... Uh, a grid that will come up when you activate um, the missiles after you get the ship missile upgrade, mm -hmm. and then, and then you can see like in the sides of your cockpit like your wings changing to like reveal the stuff like oh. that is just super cool. Like, yes, like that was an animation that retro programmed into the game that is completely unnecessary and optional, and just the fact that it's there is so awesome. I almost would even wager it kind of is necessary because it does immerse you into the game more, and and it, it adds more flavor to the game which like because at the end of the day like what really is necessary in a lot of cases aside from the game like having its basic gameplay loop and like functioning as a game everything else is you know subjective right and i think they go that kind of extra mile to give it a little more flavor a little more of a personal touch to really immerse you that you are samus and and this is stuff that she would have to do in her ship or be able to do in her ship really adds to it and and makes it i guess and in my opinion, kind of not necessary, but I don't know, maybe just more integral than just being like a little thing you could ignore. Because I would say most people didn't ignore stuff like that. They they did take the opportunity at least once to to check her out and check out those different things and play with the buttons and push this and push that and pull on that, uh, which added to making this game feel different than its predecessors. Yeah, I say unnecessary just in the sense that it doesn't serve no, a gameplay right. function because the only gameplay, yeah, yeah. the only actual gameplay function you serve is like pressing the um, the launch pad to take you to um, different places. All of the other ship stuff you do completely outside of it, and so that's what I mean when I say unnecessary. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, well, I, I would say we covered a pretty large portion of, of Skytown here. I don't really have uh, anything else to add. I, I can't really think of much else that we kind of missed here. Uh, any any closing thoughts on this area of Prime 3 corruption? Uh, bowling the tin bots is very funny and you get a credit for it. You do get a credit for that. There's uh, what you, uh, Thoughts on the credit system? Because when I played the game again, uh, I actually didn't turn them off, and I know like Andy, for example, would totally turn them off. So are you are you a a credit guy or or no? <laughs> I mean, I've already um, got all the credits in the game, so they don't even appear for me anymore anyway. So I don't know. Well, I'm, if you were I'm to play it again, like freshly, you know. Oh, what was that? I didn't hear you. I would well, like I guess let's say you were just replaying it again for the first time or something like that. You know, like what do you think they're too intrusive or make it Not too really. gamey or do yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm same. I'm indifferent on them. Like if they're there, they're there. If they're not there, then they're not there. I don't I don't really care about them one way or the other. Yeah, I mean I I guess it, it kind of, you know, in a way is intrusive in a way and reminds you you're playing a video game, but it's so, something satisfying about it. I always think of like the the credit you can get for saving the the Federation Marine and the initial portion the opening area where you know, the, the space pirate boarding ship hits the uh the valhalla and you have to like quickly shut the door to, to actually deck it's the olympus actually or the olympus yeah whatever uh what did i say the valhalla um yeah okay but you know what i'm talking about though yeah 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 <laughs> where, yeah where we have to like close the airlock and all that <laughs> yes yeah um that's a cool part oh my god i made it so far into the episode i made that mistake ah well anyway um so yeah I, honestly again overall i would say this is uh again a, a really such an awesome area of the prime series not even just in prime 3 but in prime overall i mean a lot of things we covered how it has that like connective tissue to not even just other parts of the game but like the original prime and how it has you know 
very obvious nods to the Chozo being the same Chozo and the additional lore of, you know, the Chozo searching for different places to to travel throughout the galaxy, throughout the universe, and, and this this AI robot, you know, species almost they created to help maintain it that end up, you know, being a big reason why we have to deal with what we have to deal with when we get there. You know, the story with Gore and the AU and the vaccine, like all of that, just it really, the it's, you know, Every part of it feels like it has such a, a awesome character in and of itself, a personality in and of itself. It's a dynamic area that changes over time, which to me makes it you know, such an ex excellent area, as I would say the same for any area in Metroid has similar, qual similar qualities. Uh, overall, you know, I, I mean, one of the best tracks of, of, of you know, in a soundtrack in a Metroid game, period. You know, a very you know iconic imagery and and some even some enemies and whatnot and rooms like this is one of like the main when you think of Prime Three Three you think of Sky Town, it's it's a really awesome place and uh, you know it's, it's such a again an indicative uh, I guess uh, piece of evidence of like the quality that is the like Metroid Prime and the Metroid Prime series and Metroid Prime Three like this is such a standout area in so many different aspects not just in terms of the gameplay with like the zip lines and you know using your screw attack and the spider ball but the different enemies you take on the music and the bosses and and the lore behind it it's just a, it's a full package area and I'm glad we uh, we dove into it. I, I think you said something that pretty much summed up um, in general, um, and that's when you think of Prime 3, you think of Skytown, and I think that's like the perfect summary of this area. Skytown is arguably like the big highlight of Prime 3. That's not to say that there's, a, that there's not any other like awesome highlights mm. that happen in other areas, but like when you look at the whole experience, Skytown is definitely like the most memorable part of Prime 3, and I couldn't agree with you more on that. Well... I would say that we've uh, we've certainly wrapped this up with a bow, but man, next week, right? I'm looking again. Next week, episode 100 of the show. This is episode 99, and we're going to be doing our 100th episode, or I don't know if we're, have we called, I don't know if we've given it an official name, the 100th episode spectacular, but it's not even just our 100th episode. We're doing a whole big thing, uh, you know, with the Champions cast as well. It's it's honestly, man, you know, it's been wild that we've made it 99 episodes and that we're going to be celebrating our 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 hundredth and doing it in a really awesome way. Uh, Andy will be back. Of course, you'll be back. Of course, I'll be back, unfortunately. And yeah, we're going to have a great time. But I mean, I, I it's it's honestly pretty wild that we've had so many episodes and we've been doing this since, you know, beginning of, of 2020. And and making it making it this far, and I you know hope we uh, get another hundred, another ninety nine and a hundred episodes in in the future at least. It's pretty wild being an early listener of the podcast when it first formed to now semi regularly appearing on episodes, and you know <laughs> seeing how much the Discord has grown, how um yeah how our secret project dread that is nearing a completion is growing, and you yep. know all of that, and yeah like to cap it off the one hundredth episode. Uh, the big crossover with the Champions cast, you know, hey, it's not just Spider-Man doing crossovers nowadays, so really Everyone's cool doing it. There. Everyone's doing the crossovers. We're forming the Omega Metroid Cinematic Universe, the Omega Metroid Podcast Universe, the OMPU, which uh, will be the next saga of the, the Omega Metroid series. Uh, yeah, and you actually pointed something out there. I really want to thank everyone who is part of... You know, the community, whether you are in our Discord and chatting with us every day or, or every once in a while or every once in a blue moon, or you, you know, talk to us and, and engage with us on Twitter 
or you're just a listener of the show and you're just a lurker or you're just listening and, and enjoy the show as far as you have uh you know we wouldn't be doing it without you and you make it totally worthwhile we love you know reading and hearing your comments we love chatting with all of you on discord and twitter and we love that y'all are listening and tuning in and finding a place to enjoy some metroid just as we are so seriously sincerely i i really appreciate that appreciate that from everybody and uh, we hope you continue to tune in because we will hope to continue to make more episodes yeah well, i don't have anything that, else to say to that so i say we just uh, go to the outro and call it a day <laughs> yeah i think so with that uh that's all i've got and uh next week we have episode 100 we'll definitely have some more details in the coming week on that it's gonna be an absolute banger uh for myself and doom and of course andy who's not here today uh, thank you so much for tuning in to the Omega Metroid podcast. This is episode 99. We talked about some Skytown, and we got some more Metroid on the way. Hopefully, we get some Metroid Prime 4 news. Maybe we get some Metroid Dread DLC news. Let us know. You got any thoughts on Skytown or otherwise on Twitter or on Discord? Let us know. And otherwise, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>